This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. In this episode, we welcome Lee O'Brien Amico. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting youth sport coaches and parents who help our children succeed both on and off the field. Each episode, our host Jim Thompson, CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by professional coaches, Olympians, world-class athletes, general managers, and leading youth sports experts who share their insights from their own sports careers. In this podcast, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with three-time Olympic gold medalist, Lee O'Brien Amico. I feel like passion is what lifted me to to be the player that I was. I had talent, but I'll tell you, I played with players that are way more talented, uh, and I feel like it was the passion inside, this love, this desire, this drive, and I feel like passion is something that helps people to overcome when everyone else tells them you can't do it. Those people that have that passion and say, I'm going to find a way. Lee explains that playing with passion helped shape her into becoming the softball player and coach that she is. She also reflects on her time playing under Coach Candrea and all the lessons she learned from him. Leah, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Leah O'Brien Amico is a three-time Olympic gold medalist in softball. Her three Olympic golds are matched by three NCAA championship titles she won at University of Arizona. While at Arizona, Leah batted an amazing 428 with 338 hits, 53 doubles, 5 triples, 7 home runs, and 181 RBI. Among her numerous honors, Leah was a three-time first-team All-American. She was also a three-time academic All-American and was named the NCAA Woman of the Year in Arizona in 1997. In 2002, she was inducted into the University of Arizona Hall of Fame. Leah now lives in California with her husband, Tommy, and their three boys, Jake, Drew, and Luke. Leah, thanks so much for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Well, I'm honored to be on this, on this call. So I know when you were growing up in Southern California, um, you played multiple sports. And I'm curious when you realized sort of softball was really it for you. You know, I played soccer and softball from just the early ages. I think I was six when I started softball. And probably two years after that, my parents got me into youth soccer. And I absolutely loved both of them. I tried in junior high because our school um, had, I was successful with the mile runs we did there. I tried basketball and volleyball, um, but quickly found out those were not my sports. (laughs) And so throughout high school, I played varsity soccer and softball all four years. And I, I absolutely loved both of them. I was very passionate about both of them, very successful in both of them. But I think I played a little bit of spring select one year, but it was my, my year of 14 and under nationals where I had mm-hmm. um, as a pitcher and a first baseman, and we had gone to my first ever national championship because I had just kind of made the transition to travel ball back then. And that year uh, we ended up taking first place. And so here you come to this national tournament with over 70 teams from all over the U.S., and I was the winning pitcher to win the championship game. And, and I really feel like that was kind of this, um, just this mental shift of, wow, there, there is something out there. And I started having coaches and parents and my own parents really start to encourage me that, hey, if you keep working hard at this, I mean, there are softball scholarships out there to be had. And so um, that kind of 
kind of made my shift uh, at that time. Although, you know, there was always a part of me that wanted to try to be a dual sport if possible in college with soccer as well. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you feel like uh, your time playing soccer actually maybe made you a better softball player? You know, I do. I feel like it's funny because when I was younger, I don't have the memories of it, but my mom would tell me that she could tell I was always ready for a little break, you know, not necessarily a long break, but I was I was excited to get out on the soccer field after competing all spring in softball, going mm-hmm. to, you know, all the different tournaments in the summer, and then soccer would come, and I just would have this, this kind of new passion since I had had a break from it, and then, you know, play a couple months of soccer and then back out on the softball field, and I'd just be ready to go. Um, I feel like, it, you know, it, it it helps the passion that way to keep it fresh and exciting mm-hmm. and not getting burnt out. Mm-hmm. I feel like it helped me to stay in shape. Obviously, soccer, there's a lot more running there is in softball. Um, I feel like the skills that you learn, you play multiple sports. You know, on our Olympic team, I mean, I think probably every athlete on that team was a multi-sport athlete. And mm-hmm. growing up, we had all played two to three, if not four sports, some of the girls. And so I feel like all of those different things, um, you know, just in general, the life skills that you take from different sports and now you're having multiple different types of coaches Um, I feel like all of that impacts the athlete that is able to play multiple sports if they have that desire Mm -hmm. do you think that there's been a shift now you know back then when you were on the Olympic team and all it sounds like all the women who were on the team were playing multiple sports it was certainly the case when I was in high school you know being able to play multiple high school sports do you think it's still that way today or do you think there's more of a move toward earlier specialization well, there's, I definitely say there's a move. I feel like there's so much more demanded of young athletes. I feel like, I mean, you know, I'm already hearing of kids that are six years old playing travel sports. And so because of that, it's now at, at the youngest ages, it's starting to be year-round for one sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I feel like parents, depending on what they're pulled towards, they might just get into a program or a team that's telling them you have to be doing this. And we know that individual lessons are just you know, a huge thing of today, which in the past, you might have certain athletes, certain times of the year might have started taking lessons. And now you're finding that so much more often. And, you know, the other sad thing, and and I I think it depends on the coaches that are out there, because I think there are still some coaches who have the mentality, they know it's a positive for athletes to be playing multiple sports. But I think what has also started to creep in is that People think, well, if I'm not doing it, I'm going to get passed by all yes. the other schools. Mm-hmm. They're, they're practicing year-round. If I don't have my high school softball players in the fall with me every day because they're off playing another sport, well, I'm going to miss it out because that other school over there, they have all their players. Right. So there's, there's kind of this shift, I feel like, um, this pressure even on coaches now. And one last thing I want to say about that is um, – I mean, we're talking about probably eight to ten years ago, I had a young athlete who I was giving lessons to, and she played, she was very good in both softball and, and, and basketball. Mm-hmm. And they are different seasons, mm-hmm. but in summer was where she did travel ball. Softball was what she wanted to take to um, college. She wanted to get a college scholarship, mm-hmm. but she loved basketball in high school, and her high school coach pretty much told her that if you do not compete with us during the summer, now this is summer break, mm-hmm. but during the summer on your high sc- with our high school group, you cannot be on varsity. She had tears in her eyes, and I just said to her, you know, I would say to them, well, you know, I would love to be on this team, but if you're telling me I can't because I'm pursuing a scholarship in this other sport when I play in the summer, then then all I can do is, is, you know, tell you that I would give you everything, but you don't want what I have to give you. Yep. Wow. That's, that's really tragic when you hear that kind of story. Yes. 
Um, so, so when you finished up playing sort of your travel ball and your high school ball and you were looking toward college and trying to decide where you were going to go, um, you obviously ended up at Arizona. And I'm curious if you could just tell our responsible sports listeners a little bit about how you made that decision and what role your parents may have played in that decision. Yes, when I was, well, now, I mean, it's so different again because, I mean, girls are being looked at their freshman year, eighth grade, some girls, some at sophomore year. Mm -hmm. Um, Back when I was competing, I would say, you know, we had a handful of the coaches that were coming to, um, you know, our tournaments throughout the year that they would come to the higher profile tournaments in Southern California since there was such a a big base of of athletic Mm -hmm. top Mm -hmm. players, you know, from Mm -hmm. this area. Um, and then, you know, eight internationals, I was a young athlete, so I was, I kind of played 18 and under late, um, but that's when I, I had the final, you know, the offer where I was actually meeting with the coaches. Um, and, you know, unlike some other players that I would hear that had 30 offers <laughs> from these coaches, I, I probably had a handful of about six to eight um, mm-hmm. offers from a handful of different schools. One, um, being Long Beach State, who for a number of years, um, actually a couple of girls that I played travel ball with um, for years growing up, they went there, and that was a little bit of a pool because I knew these girls and I was good friends with them. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida State was one of my options early on, and um, that was really far for me. So there were just a couple things that kind of went into the play. My parents, um, I, you know, at the time we were really naive to, to the recruiting process, and so it was more me going and taking my trips um, mm-hmm. my senior year. And, and really what for me was when I actually went onto the campus and when I met the girls that I would be playing with and when I met the coaching staff and saw the the program, I have to say that there was something. What happened was I had gone to Arizona first on a recruiting trip and just fell in love with it. The girls and, and the coaches and the going to a football game. and But I didn't know, is this the feeling you get when you step onto any college campuses? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, not too long after that, I took another recruiting trip and I realized, no, you don't. It's a, That was something special. For me, before actually even at that time taking extra trips, I had I had made that choice of you know what, I'm pretty confident this is where I want to be. And so um, when they had offered me one of, um, they, they said we have two positions um, and there's five girls we're bringing in for, for, to offer scholarships to. So I said I would like one of those. <laughs> well, what an amazing program that you became a part of. Um, so I was reading about in 1993, um, which I think was your freshman year, um, you actually drove in the game-winning run in the NCAA championship off of Lisa Fernandez. Um, and obviously anyone who knows anything about softball knows Lisa Fernandez is sort of uh, one of the most famous women who's ever played the game. And I'm curious if you could just take our audience through that moment and, and what that was like your freshman year in the NCAA championship game. Oh, yes, absolutely. Out of my entire career of softball, my whole life, this was probably the biggest, you know, and, and I'd say defining moments of my career that really brought the, a new future. But uh, we found ourselves in the championship game against Lisa Fernandez, UCLA. They were absolutely a dynasty, um, mm-hmm. definitely favored. Lisa was a senior. They had a very, very talented team, and um, we uh, as well had a great pitcher. Uh, but we came up in the first inning. Um, we were visitors, and we came up, and our first uh, hitter, slapper, was very quick, hits the ball to shortstop. She fills the ball, but she rushes the throw and throws it away. Mm. So she's on first base. Our next hitter comes up, which I was normally in the number two spot. I'm not a power hitter. I'm a line drive base hit hitter, but she had, we had flip-flopped because she had gotten hurt. And so she hits the ball to the second base, and then on the first pitch, moves her over to second, and then I come up. And uh, first pitch is a strike. 
second pitch, I foul it off, and now I'm 0-2, which is, you know, not not great to be against one of the world's best pitchers that there are and ever has been. And uh, so I fell off a couple pitches out of the zone, and then it was a drop ball by my knees that I just, my barrel down through, and I hit the ball right back by Lisa into center field, base hit. Now, the thing is, is it was a one hop. The center fielder makes a perfect throw um, to the catcher, and our coach is sending her all the way, our runner. And she comes in, and although the ball beats her, she makes this amazing slide behind the catcher's back. Her hand, you know, swipes home plate, and we score, and we go crazy. And little did we know that literally we would hang on to that one hit mm-hmm. and that one run lead the entire game. And I was um, the designated hitter that game. And so when we were out on defense and we had three more outs to get, I was, I mean, I was leading all the cheers. <laughs> I was this little freshman who just thought, I mean, his life could get any better than this. And uh, as soon as that la- last out was made, I met our pitcher and catcher as they met at the mound. And I was the first one there hugging them and, and really just thought this, this is it. This is this is the best softball has to offer. <laughs> and then little did I know that you could actually win gold medals eventually. <laughs> so. Right, right. I wish you could see the smile on my face. Um, it's incredible just the detail of every pitch you still remember um, from that at bat and, and every moment. That's just uh, what an incredible moment to have been a part of. And then, I mean, and then to follow it up with your 94 season, um, which, I mean, being ranked number one for the entire season, winning another NCAA title, um, I mean, I can't really think of another team that goes 64 and three overall. Um, what did that team do? And I think was Coach Candrea your head coach at that time. What did what did he do, and what did the team do not to get complacent um, when you were having that much success? You know, I, I think one of the biggest things I think back to the years I played and played and the successes we had and. You know, we had a very special group of girls. I remember that year them saying, you know, we had, I believe that year we had six first-team All-Americans, and just that alone was unheard of. So not only did we have a really special group of girls, um, we had fun. I have to say, like, you know, you see some teams, and they look so serious, and they're intense, and that's how they compete. But one of the things was, Candrea was always very good about, he knew through the years, I think, when we were doing well, he knew to just... um, kind of lead us the way that that we all responded to and as long as we were doing well and getting the job done he gave us some of some freedoms you know Mm -hmm. to enjoy what we were doing and how we were doing it other years when we struggled a little bit he would kind of have to get a little tougher and pull back the reins a little bit Mm -hmm. um but but besides the talent i i feel like just um our practices one of the things playing for coach candrea a couple things I want to say that through the years, I, I and I believe this obviously impacted that year when we, we did uh, have such a great season, um, was just the fact that our preparation was always top-notch. Like, I mean, we prepared every little thing you could imagine, and he is very organized, and he is very thorough, and there's days when we're not doing it that he's going to say, we're going to stop practice, and everybody, we're going to do a running drill where you run out to every be- every position because we I saw somebody walking between the lines. Or <laughs> So his expectations were always top of the line, but yet through that we saw the success and therefore we enjoyed what we were doing. Mm-hmm. The other thing that Candrea was always really good about, and I feel like um, I'm sure this year was played a, an important impact as well, a role, was 
he's very good at finding those players that he knows that he, he needs to get on a little bit more. I was the kind of player that he didn't need to. He just needed to be like, let's go, Leah, now. And that was it. I was going to run through a wall. I was going to get a hit. I was going to do whatever <laughs> I needed to do. And um, I always respected him because I think sometimes coaches say, this is how I coach. And everyone's got to line up and follow it. or mm. And it's them to the whole team, whereas Candrea could read, and he knew, and he literally he didn't change or lower his standards, but he, res- he saw what is going to get the best out of each and every player, and he did exactly that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask a question about what makes him so special, but I think you've already answered it. That's fantastic. Um, if, if I framed it this way, like, what are the lessons you feel like you took away from him um, that would benefit you in other parts of your life? So now, you know, as a professional or softball analyst or as a parent, are there things that you feel like his coaching taught you that, that don't, didn't just help you on the softball field? Well, definitely. I, Coach Candrea always had the big picture in mind. I feel mm-hmm. like I, I believe that what went a long way is, is his belief in his players. I'll mm-hmm. tell you, he could get frustrated if we were making mistakes, but he was at third base and all he did, he looked at you and you knew he believed in you. You knew he was mm-hmm. fighting for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I, I love, and I think this applies to every aspect of life, was he didn't want us to get too high or too low. Mm-hmm. If I was starting to you know, go down a little bit of my play, struggle, get frustrated. He would just be right there to pick me up. If I was doing really well, he's going to keep you from getting too prideful and thinking you're too good. Um, coaches, players knew that he cared about him. I'll tell you, I walked away from those, those years of playing for him, and I felt like I had a second dad. He's, he's not only a coach, he's a mentor. Um, I love that his, his standard of expectation was always high. And mm-hmm. I know myself as an athlete, I, I have that drive within. But when you add that with someone, I wanted to be good for him. Like, I wanted to play my very best because I felt like, you know, I wanted to do it for him. And, and when we won, um, you know, I played multiple times, but I think back to my last Olympics of being able to, I, when I came back after having my son and mm-hmm. I don't know if we were going to get there, but I wanted to play for him again mm-hmm. because although I'd played on USA teams, it was actually him at the head that made the biggest difference. I feel like, and mm-hmm. after we won my final gold medal with him as our coach and we lifted him up, um, I just knew that I finally was excited because I had played on the Olympic team a couple times, but I was so excited to have some of these other girls, my teammates now, mm-hmm. that could actually play for Coach Candre as well, who didn't have that chance in college. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Um, one, more, one more question about your college career. Um, your stats in the, the Women's College World Series games, you actually played in 18 of them. Um, are, are completely staggering. I mean, batting 500 and, or 563 in the Women's College World Series, um, I think you batted safely in 17 of the 18 games. You only struck out once. Um, what, give us a little insight into your approach for the Women's College World Series, and how did you uh, set yourself up for that sort of performance? Well, I feel like by the time you get to the Women's College World Series, the preparation has been done. But I also remember it's kind of a funny thing. I think there's a fine line between expectations um, to where it could take you down or expectations that can lift you up. And I'll remember, I remember a couple times of they announced the um, – the first team all or all Americans, I should say, but they announced the American, all Americans right before the tournament starts. And I can remember probably at least two of the times we never looked at stats. We weren't allowed to know our stats. We weren't allowed to read the newspapers. Um, 
So I would get announced, you know, and, and I, I was named as an All-American. And mm-hmm. I remember a couple times feeling like I didn't necessarily deserve it. Like, it's a funny thing, but I do remember going to that and being almost like, oh, I need to go out and prove that I, that I did deserve it. Mm-hmm. So that was a little mentality. I can remember that at least once or twice. And then the only other thing um, that I would say is that, um, you know, the, the World Series actually, well, it was my junior year, actually, a couple of those times, I think sometimes the higher the level of game, mm-hmm. the the less I thought. The more I mm. just literally was focused on the challenge, whereas if the level of play wasn't as high, then my mind would get involved, and then I'd start to, you know, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be as, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be in the zone, I guess, as much. And so there were a couple of those things that I that I can remember, but but I'll never forget. We ended up losing um, my only the only game we lost, or I should say, national championship game out of my four years um, championship was against UCLA and Australian mm-hmm. Olympic pitcher Tanya mm-hmm. Harding, mm-hmm. and um, I think I went two for three against her. We ended up losing four to two. But I do remember this one particular time of just before going up and getting one of my hits off of her, just being in that circle, and it was like everything else had faded. The stands were gone. The scoreboard was gone. But everything else except her and the ball and me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can remember literally just in the uh, on-deck circle just watching the ball. And, and it was just cool. You, in the, when you play the sport, that's, that's the moment you're trying to achieve all the time. You just, mm-hmm. It's really hard to get there and, and be in the zone. But I can remember, and, and it just and it went up and felt as comfortable and confident as I ever, had ever felt. And, and that's one of the reasons I think I had the success that I did. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I'm not even going to go there talking to you about the potential of having uh, four out of four national championships there at Arizona and, and that, that piece of history. Um, one thing I want to shift gears a little bit and say, I was looking at your Twitter page and I saw your quote, uh, play with passion, live with purpose. And I was just curious if you could tell our responsible sports audience a little bit about what that quote uh, means to you. Well, I, I feel like passion is what lifted me to, to be the player that I was. I had talent, but I'll tell you, I played with players that are way more talented, uh, and I feel like it was the passion inside, this love, this desire, this drive, and I feel like passion is something that helps people to overcome when everyone else tells them you can't do it. Those people that have that passion and say, I'm going to find a way, that can happen. And so um, that's something it's really hard to teach. I don't know if you can teach it, um, but if you can get people to get a glimpse and if they can love what they're doing. And mm-hmm. um, that, that's kind of what I say. Just play with that passion because if you do, you're going to prepare with passion mm-hmm. and you're going to put in the time that's needed and the extra at-bats and the extra ground balls or whatever it is that you need to do, whatever sport you play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then live with purpose. And, you know, I've had people um, in my life that just have so impacted me to can, Coach Kendra being one of them. Julie, um, a lot of times I speak and I, I tell a lot of people about a, a teammate of mine, Julie Raytan, who actually ended up passing away when she was 21 years old. Mm. Um, and that girl just had a purpose. She loved everyone. A lot of it had to do with her faith in God. And as well as me, that's a, that's a big part of, of who I am. But I feel like if all of us can find um, our purpose of what we're doing. So um, even for me, I feel like softball was a huge part of my life because I loved it. But now that allowed me to have the teammates that I had, to know the families that I got to know, to um, eventually you know, meet the people through USA softball as well as um, through the years. And, and I feel like that even with my, my own three 
three boys, when they play sports, I'm now coming across families that otherwise I wouldn't meet, and there's a purpose, that our paths are crossing. And so um, it kind of keeps the bigger picture in mind because at the end of the day, um, it is a sport, and so you play with that passion, but really it comes down to how, how does that look in the bigger picture? Are we living with integrity, character, yeah. class? Um, to be a good example to everyone, if we're parents, what are we portraying to our kids? And if I can just add this one thing, the one year that we did lose um, the national championship, like I just mentioned, against Tanya Harding and UCLA, mm-hmm. and they ended up taking the championship away from them, mm-hmm. um, I will never forget. Coach Candrea, we sat in the room, and whereas I believe a lot of other people would have sort of fit right then and there, you know, th- this girl, how did she come on a scholarship, blah, blah, blah. There were a lot of details, whatever, that people didn't know. But he sat there that day at the press, press conference, and I was in there as one of the top athletes, and he said to them, we had the chance to win. We lost today on the field. That is it. We walk away from it, and we learn a lesson from it. And I, I will never forget, I thought, that is why I love playing for this man, and I follow his lead. We don't need to make any excuses. We need to be class act no matter what happens, good or bad. And sometimes that's missing on sports fields with coaches and parents. And then mm-hmm. that ends up, you know, being handed down to the kids as well. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic story. Um, so, so you mentioned now that your boys are playing sports. And I'm curious, when you're sort of thinking about the ideal coach for them, you know, no matter what sport they're playing, um, what, do you, what would you look for in sort of the ideal youth sports coach um, to coach your boys? You know, I think the ideal coach is someone who is going to uh, know the, the game, the fundamentals, to know how to, to be a good teacher. I feel like the best coaches are good communicators. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the best coaches can be hard on them in a positive way. I feel mm-hmm. like some people just don't quite understand. They don't understand when they start to take the shift hard by keeping high expectations Some people think if you're going to be nice, you have to be easy. And I I have seen through my experiences, and so for males to understand um, that they can be a strong example of what it means to work hard and to be prepared and to give everything you have and to pull that out of these players, but at the end of the day to be actually lifting them up and encouraging them through that and and teaching them lessons to the failures Mm -hmm. and not settling for kids that are not trying but Mm -hmm. finding ways that are that are a positive way to deal with those situations. To me, that would be the, the ultimate, you know, characteristics of a good coach. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, what advice would you give a parent if they feel like they have a problem with a coach? Um, how they should handle that? Well, I think ultimately, I feel like we have to get the courage to find a good way to communicate with them and bring it up and try to have a discussion and. Um, and that's not always easy to do. I know some people who have actually just quit sports altogether rather mm-hmm. than approach coaches, mm-hmm. and that breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes people, you know, we don't know how they're going to respond. Sometimes they won't respond, but uh, the best thing that could happen is they might actually listen and make some own personal changes and, and then maybe finally understand how they're coming across. Maybe there's some people out there that don't even know how they're coming across, and so really I believe communication, um, and then not only that, if, uh, if one person is feeling it, if they hear another parent say something to them, then maybe they feel like, wow, we're not alone in how we feel. Maybe the both of us in a, in a positive way, in a kind way, can then approach the, the coach and talk to them about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
great advice. Um, so I think you've now had the experience of coaching yourself at almost every level, you know, from sort of clinics where you're dealing with kids who are maybe really new to softball, um, all the way through the, um, USS, S a pride. Um, so it's sort of players at the highest level. And I'm curious if coaching is sort of what you expected it to be, or, um, if there were some surprises and, you know, what are sort of the greatest challenges and rewards of coaching in your experience? Well, definitely it was different for me from being a player. For all the years that I played, I viewed things from a team perspective, from inside the team. So it was different to be a coach and to see the personalities on the outside but not to be able to impact them from the with, from within. When mm-hmm. I played, yeah. you know, if there was a, a certain with, someone with an attitude, I could then step up and be a leader and mm-hmm. try to get the girls to rally around me. But as a coach... You now are trying to find those leaders and, and encourage them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I found that depending on the team that you have, obviously you have a certain amount of talent, but it's, it's leadership and there's positive and negative leadership. And I had a team one year where the negative older girls um, really were the leaders. No matter mm-hmm. how much I tried to talk to somebody at the girls and ask them to step up, mm-hmm. they didn't have that confidence. And mm-hmm. so um, so that was one of the things. Another thing was... Um, it was interesting seeing the players with talent. I don't think I saw this as much when I was playing, but seeing the players that maybe had a lot of talent but wouldn't put in the work ethic, that mm. was different for me yeah. because I was obviously probably when I could recognize that I was at a higher level and the majority of us had that similar passion and drive the way that we, we did prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, uh, the difference of players that are willing to receive instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, I am someone who is very sensitive to how I would come across and the things I would say to somebody to give information just because I know myself that I really thrive off of positive feedback. So when I would go to give just any kind of instruction to someone, I realized that some of the higher levels that some of the girls don't really want instruction. (laughs) And that was surprising to me um, only because, like I said, I, I mean, I was on the Olympic team being like, let's have this discussion, Coach, right now. What are you seeing? You know, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. um, it was just different than, again, myself as a player. But I have to say, after coaching with the Pride this summer uh, and coaching some of the girls who I competed with in the 2004 Olympics, who are now the veterans on that team, mm-hmm. uh, their level of play completely just stood out because mm-hmm. they are complete students of the game. So mm-hmm. although they're now um, in their late 20s and still competing, they still continue to be students of the game. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's more of what I would think would happen across the board more, but I realize as a coach it's, it's not always the case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, Leah, one thing that's really come out for me during this interview is your just tremendous level of humility and um, just for everything you've accomplished, it's really um, refreshing and, and wonderful to to hear you sound as humble and, and have the level of humility. And I'm curious if that's something that you've just sort of always had, or is that something that you feel like was nurtured in you by parents or coaches, or how did you get to that place? Well, you know, I think that I always felt like I could be better. <laughs> I feel like, and, um, and so... Although I loved what I did, um, I feel like I just wanted to bring to the table always, like, not only a better level of play, but I want my teammates to be better and our team to do great. Um, I think I'm for sure a team athlete because I know myself. Like, I I just feed off of that. So um, I think my parents definitely 
you know, add to that, but I, but I also think it's how I'm wired because even to this day with the different um, opportunities I have, um, I get excited about an opportunity to speak or to be a TV analyst or a radio mm-hmm. analyst and do these different things, but I always feel like, oh, I've got a lot to learn and I could still, okay, give me another chance and I could do better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I just feel like I think I'll always be a student in everything that I do because um, I just think that drive to, to keep, seeking and trying to be the very best, um, it keeps you at a good hungry spot, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Leah, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Um, I think all of our responsible f- sports listeners have learned a ton from this and um, just so appreciate you taking the time with us. And, um, and thanks again for joining us today. Well, thank you so much, Tina. Thanks for what you're all doing to get this message out because I, I know it can be a huge encouragement and I will continue embarking on that as a parent now from this side. So thank you. To learn more about Responsible Sports, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find valuable Responsible Sport parenting and Responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and helpful advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.